welcome to another episode of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon. I'm a chartered psychologist and coach. And this week, I am joined by fellow psychologist, Dr. Sarah Strohmeyer, who is an expert in mindfulness. Now, mindfulness and being able to be in the present moment and bring our awareness to that present moment is a topic that we've talked about several times on the podcast, and Sarah is a previous guest. Well, she's come back to talk a little bit more about the practicalities of what it feels like and how to take those first steps in mindfulness practice. And also, uh, we're plugging an event that we're running together a little bit later this year, full details of which we'll discuss, and there'll be a link in the show notes if you'd like to come along to learn directly from Sarah how to take your own first steps in mindfulness. I hope you find this interesting. If you have questions or follow-up comments, you can always get in touch with us and you can send us an email at podcast at worklifepsych.com. You know we love to hear from our listeners, uh, so we look forward to hearing what you think of this conversation. Big thanks to Sarah for joining me. And of course, as ever, thanks to you for listening. So I'm delighted to have Sarah Strohmeyer back with us again. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Um, Happy New Year to you, um, which is probably the wrong thing to say in a podcast when someone might be listening to this at any time, but we've just started our new year. I hope you had a good break. Yeah, I did. And I I reckon, you know, people can have a new year at any point in the year, you know, (laughs) start, start fresh. Yeah. I really like that. Yes, listeners will have heard me say that before. So um, you kindly joined us uh, on a previous episode, and I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes so that listeners can go back and if they haven't heard that. But for for new listeners, uh, for those that haven't heard that episode, would you mind taking a couple of moments to introduce yourself to the audience? Who are you and what do you do? Of course. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on again. I really enjoy talking about this sort of stuff with you. So So it's great to be uh, on the podcast again. Um, so yeah, I'm Sarah, as you said, um, I chartered psych as a psychology lecturer at a university in the UK. I'm also a mindfulness a researcher of mindfulness-based programs, mindfulness practices um, as well, where I, I sort of do communications running different workshops and things like that. Um, I'm ha- I have a background in business psychology, so occupational business psychology. And after that, I did my uh, worked as a research associate and then did my PhD on mindfulness in psychology. Um, and yeah, and I think it's, it's just been a longstanding interest of mine. Um, I've, I've been talking to different people about mindfulness, what they find most, most help, helpful, what maybe some uh, misconceptions about mindfulness are um so yeah i think that that sums me up so thank you for that i'd love to know what sparked your initial interest because you've dedicated years of your life mm. to learning more about it and studying it what sparked that initial interest so i think i came, first came across mindfulness when when I did maybe my master's or maybe slightly before, it was always something that really interested me. Um, um, and then learned a little bit more about it. I wasn't quite sure what it was about. Uh, when I did uh, work as a research aso- associate before I started my PhD, we I, I, could, I took part in a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy program um, that was offered just in, at the workplace. And it's it's an eight-week program that was quite intense. And, and um, I, I found it quite intense. So it's 
um, weekly home practices of mindfulness for up to, you know, an hour every day after work. Mm. And then also doing a lot of um, sessions um, during work times and things like that, which I found quite intense, but I really enjoyed the practices. Uh, so I afterwards um, sought out more mindfulness programs and I did an online program that was much lower dose, less intense sort of briefer practices, which I found a little bit easier um, to to do um, as, a, as a sort of no- novice mindfulness practitioner, if you like. I, I then thought, well, there's something there, you know, there's at the moment, especially in the re- most recent past, a lot of people have done more research on mindfulness. There's a lot of different programs that are being offered on mindfulness, you know, face-to-face programs, online programs, app-based programs, bibliotherapy programs, which means, you know, like therapy books and people uh, mm-hmm. reading a chapter a week or something like that. And I thought that was really interesting that there are so many different programs, but it's not quite clear what the most helpful amount of practices or amount of program is an, an online pro- program more helpful than a face-to-face program, etc. So that's where I um, started looking into the research side of things a little bit more and um, then did my PhD on exactly that. So what dose of mindfulness is most helpful for people? Which is a really important question. Um, it, it sounds like the interest was sparked at an intellectual level. You know, there's questions here that you want to get an answer to. Did, did you personally benefit from the mindfulness practice that you did? I did, actually. That's an interesting question. Because um, I think I'm, I'm one of these people, I always ask a lot of questions about things and want to know what the mechanisms are and how something works, you know, not just with mindfulness, but with things um, outside of that as well. But yeah, from a, a personal um, perspective, I found it quite helpful. I think during my PhD, I did mindfulness practices as well, because I found actually that it was quite helpful for levels of stress or overwhelm. You know, when you get an, a number of emails, as we all do, uh, doing mindfulness practices was actually quite helpful. There's also some, and, and I did this uh, sort of not on a super structured way during the pandemic as well. So where I did mindfulness practices more regularly, but I know there's some research that someone did. Um, actually, I don't know if it's if it's not academic research, but someone in Australia did uh, mindfulness practice a day for a whole year and seeing the differences that they found. And they actually found, you know, that they were calmer or they're being uh, responding less stressed to emails, you know, taking time with things rather than uh, quickly making a decision and, and not having thought it through. So from that perspective, it's, it's really helpful from, for just you know, everyday life as well, regardless of what you're doing, paying more attention to things and and doing things properly, uh, less likely to make Mm. mistakes, even with, you know, everyday things as well. So it doesn't have to be, you know, an exam or something, but even cooking dinner or something like that, paying attention Mm. to that, um, you know, taking your time with it. It's it's quite helpful for things like that. It's really interesting, that point. I think the, we'll, 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 come on to sort of misconceptions in a moment, but I, I've often found that when I talk about bringing mindful focus or mindful awareness to what we're doing, you know, the response from clients is often, well, I, you know, I, I don't want to meditate. I haven't got time to sit mm. on a cushion or, you know, that, that doesn't mm. sit well with me, but actually the everyday capacity to bring your focus to bear on something, um, whether it's meaningful to you or not, that's a skill and the benefits from that can be can be quite wide ranging. I, I know in my own experience, I very much was a cynic many years ago, and then realized there's, there's something to this, and it works, and I feel good. But I've noticed I go through waves of using it mm. to help me, 
you know, through periods of busyness or stress or a bad day. But I've also found it really, really useful to do just because, you know, nothing terrible happened. It's just a really good, I I, I like guided meditations. I like, you know, uh, an app talking me through going through the motions and starting my day in the office with five or 10 minutes of that is my ideal start to the day. Not because something bad happened on the way Mm. to the office, but because the clarity um, you get from that, I really feel the benefits, um, absolutely yeah. feel the benefits. And that's so interesting that you're saying that because it's, it's one of those things, um, where it's, it's not, you know, not, not one size fits all, you know, some people might, might really like doing the, the smaller amounts. Uh, some people find it really helpful to have it really structured. So same time of the day, other people find it more helpful to do, you know, different types of practice, like walking meditation or, or listening to guided meditations or, you know, doing, doing it in different ways. It's, it's really interesting actually about um, even the amount of practice or the, the dose of practice. I was recently in Australia um, to present at the, the international conference on mindfulness, where there's lots of mindfulness people and from different <laughs> perspectives there, of course. Uh, and I talked to a Buddhist monk there um, and even he was saying, you know, start small. There's no, no reason why you should push to, to start something when you when you've only just began learning about it or you want to explore and see if it's something for you um so, so it's 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 one of those misconceptions again where you'd think um you know buddhist monks would you know make you sit for long periods of time whereas actually that's not the case either so it's mm. it's good to start small with with many other things as well so one of the analogies i often use is uh, someone training for running a marathon right so they wouldn't be starting you know to run 42 kilometers or 26 miles on the first day they put on their running Mm. shoes never having run before right so they would slowly start maybe do one kilometer five kilometer five miles etc and then slowly build that up to 42 kilometers if that's what they want to do but also on the other hand not everyone has to run a marathon right so like there's lots of health benefits for people running 5k three times a week or something like that you know that's really really healthy and that might work for some people whereas for other people they want to run marathons go to the olympics etc which is nice as well you know so there can be Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. about um making it work for you seeing what is the best amount of practice and perhaps starting small at the beginning because it's much more likely that people stop practicing when they're being given a huge amount of practice when they're first sit down as well and it feels like too much and, and and not a good transition to learn about it and that's the dose you were talking about earlier, mm. the, the, the amount that someone's doing and the little and often sounds yes. like it can work surprisingly well. Yeah, and, and dose is an interesting term. I thought about this quite a lot when I did my research, my PhD, because dose is quite a medical term, right? So it's all about dose of mm. medicine and, and things like that. So it isn't really a better term because it refers to different things. So it's like you said, uh, the amount of practice someone takes or so the minutes of time someone sits down but also sort of how they practice so things like is it an online uh, program is it like you said is it a guided practice that we, where someone gives instructions on on what to do uh, a little bit more is it a practice that is more um you know some people practice with music only some people practice in silence some people practice when they're doing walking meditations um some mm-hmm. people practice in groups as well so what the difference is between practicing in a group or practicing by yourself um as well so all of these elements relate to the dose of mindfulness practice in a in a sense in my research anyway and yet the word is thrown around 
kind of loosely, isn't it? Um, mm. As if it's one thing, when in fact yeah. it, it can take many different forms and different forms work differently for different people. But to my understanding, there's a core skill we're trying to develop here of noticing, mm. um, moving away from automatic pilots, automatic responses to things, to be able to step back a little bit and experience rather than be in the the throng of our minds who are trying to control what's going on in our heads to just quietly notice it. Mm. Is that is, is that a fair summary? Yes, absolutely. And I think and in, in anyone will will know this that that we always worry about or often worried about, you know, what happened in the past? What did I do this morning? Did I, you know, turn off the light, you know, things like that, um, as well as worrying about future things, you know, what, what am I going to be doing? How's my career going? What is, what is it I need to do for, do for tomorrow? You know, all your to-do list, things like that. But we rarely spend any time in the present moment thinking, okay, wh- mm. what does it feel like right here where I am right now? Um, and that's another misconception about mindfulness because a lot of the time people think it's about clearing your mind and thinking of nothing, which mm. is, which is actually <laughs> not what it is because it's, That'll be mindlessness, more like you know. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so so that's another thing, which is which is why I think it's really good that we, we're having this conversation and talking about it and getting more um, information out there. I think about what mindfulness is and what it isn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, and and it can be difficult to to nail it down if if you haven't got lots and lots of time. So that that's what I was going to say. That in some contexts, these same mechanisms I'll use with my coaching clients to help them develop the skill of noticing the impact their thoughts and emotions have on their behavior so that they don't get hijacked by those thoughts and emotions, Mm. that they actually see the thoughts as thoughts, but they don't have to do anything with them so they can behave in a way that they would ideally like or is more values aligned. For other people, it's, it's almost part of stress management to be able to um, be in the moment with something and not have to um, uh, be a certain way. And, and, you know, that could take the form of doing everyday activities with a mindful philosophy or a mindful attitude Mm. where don't multitask, don't do all the things, do this one simple thing. You mentioned cooking. That's a really common example. Or just go for a walk where you're not trying to achieve anything except experience a walk. Mm. And in this, you know, very busy world that so many of us occupy, that's a bit of a shock to the system because you suddenly become aware of things that had just passed your conscious awareness by up until that point when you stop trying to do and you just try to be in in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where like like you were mentioning earlier as well, where doing little and often mindfulness practice is actually quite helpful to then be able to to have those tools in the toolkit, right? So if you mm-hmm. do practice mindfulness for five, 10 minutes a day, say, and then it comes to um, a, a situation where that it might be stressful, where you're being asked to do something, that that you're able to not sort of overly ruminate on these thoughts or, or really worry about what, what is going to happen. Say you have to do a presentation at work or something like that. Um, but sort of take a step back thinking, okay, you know, it's not actually happening. What I'm thinking about might happen, you know, um, but by being able to then use these tools of the mindfulness practice that you've, you've developed to apply in your everyday life as well. 
So I'll put a link in the show notes to this, but I, I published a post on our blog just the other day, which is a, at a slight tangent to this, but it's about noticing the form that our future-oriented thinking can take. Mm. Uh, you know, we're at the start of the year. Lots of us might be thinking about the future, but um, there is an important distinction to be made between intentional planning versus getting caught up with worries and predictions that are very negative, which can take us away from the present moment. And mm. before we know it, we've burnt through valuable time, not really doing anything helpful except worry about something that's not in our control. And to me, that's a great example of where having a mindful awareness so that you can actually notice, oh, I'm getting caught up with worries rather than um, I must solve this worry somehow. Yeah. Um, where the mindful um, ethos could be really helpful, and it's that's a, such a good good point because you're actually not solving that the problem by thinking about it or overly thinking mm -hmm. about it or all the possible things that could be going wrong, right? So, so by taking a step back and just thinking, what is the actual situation that you're in, and then being able to sort of say, like, look, what is it that I can do in this situation? What is it that I want to be doing? Not about all the the different things that could be going wrong, but also thinking about, okay, so. Maybe thinking about some some things that could be going right as well, but also thinking like in this situation, none of these things have actually happened that I'm thinking are going to go wrong. So mm. that's really helpful. So what do you think? I mean, we're, we're trying to nail it down collaboratively here, but what do you think it is that people really need to understand if they're to have um, an accurate understanding of mindfulness in the everyday? Yeah, so so it's quite tricky. So I think this is a really important question because mindfulness in, in recent years has become a bit of a um, hyped up term. So, so there's a mm. lot of overwhelming information out there. Um, a lot of, you know, different mindfulness practices people can be doing. There's a lot of, like even our social media influencers saying like, Oh, do this mindfulness practice. And it's not really a mindfulness practice. And that can actually be quite harmful for people if it's something that's not, um, evidence-based and, and hasn't mm. been researched mm. and hasn't been, you know, um, evaluated properly. Um, you know, because if people are told that they're doing it wrong or they're doing the wrong thing. It can be quite unhelpful for people. So people, it might be, you know, negative outcomes more so than, than positive outcomes, um, which is why I think it's really important to talk about mindfulness. So rather than, like I said, um, trying to clear your mind, it's not about clearing your mind, but more so paying attention to the present moment in what you're at right now um, and doing that without any judgment um, or, or anything, you know, any preconceptions or, I'm, I'm thinking wrong, I'm breathing wrong, all of these things which which come mm. up. Um, and also mm. not being judgmental about the mind wandering, right? That's another big thing that our minds just normally do and that, that's, you know, even experienced mindfulness practitioners still have their mind wander um, after 20 years of practice, say, you know. Um, mm. So that's a really important one. And, and there's different types of mindfulness practices people do. So there's uh, a really common one is mindfulness of the breath meditation practice, which is quite an easy one because you know most people have a breath they're breathing that's quite an, an easy thing to focus on you don't need any mm -hmm, equipment mm -hmm. or anything like that um and it's where, where you're just sort of paying attention to your breathing without trying to manipulate it or breathe faster or slower or anything like that but sort of just seeing how it feels like um another one is um a body scan which can be quite helpful for some people as well where you sort of um concentrate on different parts of your body um, as well that can be quite helpful for things like anxiety when people are um 
um, stressing or panic attacks and things like that as well. Um, not just on a clinical level, just every day um, as well. Um, there's other types of mindfulness practices as well. So things like um, walking meditations we, we mentioned, uh, which is what people can do outside. So paying attention to how the, the ground feels when you're walking, um, how the wind feels on your face, things like that as well. But basically, they're all doing the sort of same type of thing. So paying attention to the present moment without any judgment. So when the mind does wander, as it normally does, you can just bring it back to uh, f- focusing on the breath, for instance. And that that element of that definition, I end up spending a lot of time on with groups when I'm training, for example. When I talk mm-hmm. about this in terms of being psychologically flexible, I use that definition paying attention in a particular way to now, you know, without judgment. Well, what does judgment sound like? Well, you know, it's so easy for us to judge. Mm. We, we, we like categories. We, we, we like right and wrong. We also like to notice and evaluate our own internal experiences. And that's where we get the, that was a good thought. That was a bad thought. That's a bad emotion. This is a good feeling. Um, and it's it's one of the trickiest elements, I think, isn't it, to stop that judging of what we notice, but instead just to pay attention to it rather than to attempt to evaluate and then somehow solve or remove it. Mm, absolutely. So it's not so much about um, see, you know, having negative thoughts come up, which could you know, that's quite a normal thing. Everyone's got like, oh no, I forgot mm. I need to do this, or no, no, I forgot to put petrol in my car. You know, there there could be. All, all day, everyday things. But sort of just saying, okay, there's a thought, um, that's nice, and I'm just going to let it go and concentrate on my breath, which which can be really, really helpful, both from like a, you know, a clinical perspective, but also from an everyday, a work perspective. Um, you know, we're at the beginning of the year, I don't know about you, but when I came back to the office, there were, you know, hundreds of emails that I needed to answer, things like that. Mm-hmm. I could have been like, oh no, I'll answer all the emails right now. Or just sort of, you know, paying attention to, okay, so there's some emails. I'll be looking at some of these. I probably won't be able to look at all of them um, immediately at the same time. Uh, but that's that's okay, you know. And and I think that can be, be something where, where it can be really helpful with feeling overwhelmed or feeling stressed about things to just taking a step back, paying attention to the present moment that there's no real mm. threat there. And that's difficult, isn't it? Because our mind can paint a threat so clearly and in such color and in such vivid terms that we do pay attention to it. And instead of, as per your example, well, I'm going to respond to these emails, we go to a future failure or something where we haven't responded to them and someone's giving us negative feedback about that, you know, all that time we're thinking that Mm. we're actually not doing the emails. (laughs) So it's taking us away from what will help us. Yeah, absolutely. And from a neurological perspective or even a a psychological evolutionary psychological perspective, that made a lot of sense, you know, when we were all living in in caves and things like that, and there could be uh, tigers coming and and taking us away. um, And we needed to be sort of prepared for any possible thing because for survival reasons, right? But at the moment, if it feels like there's a lot of stresses all the time, so so being being prepared for any possible stress is just not feasible, and it, it's more likely to lead to burnout rather than being helpful for people to deal with it. 
No. That, yeah, that, that constant vigilance is exhausting mm. for us. And, and it can make it difficult to distinguish between different kinds of threats and dangers. And I don't mean, you know, being hit by a bus or something, but, but being able to calibrate what's more important and urgent because everything feels urgent and important. And that's the overwhelm. And it's, um, it's a really not nice experience to have and so much of it is future focused you know um i will lose my job or i will get shouted at by my manager rather than well what am i doing right now Mm. what can i do um in this moment i'm in yeah so there's there's lots of practical everyday applications which i think is really important when talking about any of the things that we discuss on this podcast you know turning this into something that people can do um You've mentioned the phrase a couple of times about the evidence base or evidence-based interventions. There's a lot more research on this now than there has been in the past Mm. and and a lot more higher quality research. What do you think people would find particularly interesting or surprising about what uh, scientists have discovered about mindfulness? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting in the last, I think, 30 years, mindfulness research has has risen exponentially there's there's been so much more um research on mindfulness people have done searches about the word mindfulness being used in the last 30 years and it's it's just gone crazy um up up in in numbers which is great i mean there's there's a lot of um research i think it, we, we talked about some reasons why evidence-based research is important right so so not just doing anything it's it's like you know um with, with anything making sure that you're using something that's evidence-based or making sure you're you're doing something that you know has been checked or, or, or someone knows that, that that's the correct thing. Um, there's, there's been research, a lot of research has been done with sort of um, eight-week mindfulness programs. In the, in, it's sort of, you know, first of all, like sort of that's the largest number of research, um, which are normally like eight-week programs and they're usually group-based to so face-to-face programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been found to be actually quite helpful Um there's been more research on with sort of clinical participants, but also at general populations as well. But more recently, there's also been some more research on smaller programs or, or lower dose programs, as I like to call them. Um, so, so things that are maybe delivered online, maybe delivered via apps. So there's various different mindfulness apps that have been um, have been reviewed in evidence, and people have done have done uh, just studies to to show that they are helpful as well for people, um, as well as you know shorter practices as well, like we talked about um, there as well. And, and my research, in particular, had has has sort of compared these different types of practices. So I looked at a lot of different papers that have published on this, but then also on studies that have um, you know I, I did a study myself comparing. 20-minute mindfulness practice to five-minute mindfulness practices and which is more helpful in novice practitioners, so people who have never done any mindfulness practice before or have very limited experience of what mindfulness is. And actually with this one, shorter mindfulness practices were found more helpful for people who are really new to mindfulness, right, when there isn't mm-hmm. a lot of um, information there or even even group discussions about mindfulness, things like that, which in practice not everyone has available to them. Um, you know, not everyone can travel on a, you know, very practically travel to go to a mindfulness group in the pandemic. Obviously, no one could do that. But also, mm. you know, financially, not everyone has those means as, as well. Or, or, you know, people might have um, other responsibilities, so they wouldn't be able to partake in face to face programs. So, so a lot of research has been done, and more recently with the briefer mindfulness programs, um, which actually have been shown to be 
similarly as helpful as longer programs. So not that longer programs aren't helpful, but just shorter programs might also be helpful, you know. And it plays again to it's that so thing. Interesting. Of, yeah, where, where different things help different people differently, and it's all positive, yeah. you know. Which which is interesting because it's so easy to look at some kind of intervention and say, well, obviously, the more you get, the better. Mm. When in fact, as you said, too much could be stressful or anxiety-inducing yeah. if you're not used to it. There's actually and, some research on that. Yeah, yeah. sorry, go ahead. So, yeah, there's actually some research on that um, by a researcher uh, called Willoughby Britton. She's at Brown University in the States, and she has done a lot of research on the adverse effects of mindfulness because mindfulness is not helpful for everyone as well. Mm, and she's mm. looked at in particular with people who are having difficulties with sleeping, um, you know, insomnia and things like that, where longer mindfulness practices, so practices even longer than 30 minutes is what, is what she found in her research, were actually found to be less helpful, you know, for, for sleeping and, and helping with insomnia and things like that as well. So that's the other perspective as well. So it's not like mindfulness is always helpful for everyone. You know, for some people it's not. Yeah. And that's the other side of the coin with the the amount of mindfulness research at, out there at the moment. So it's not a panacea that can help everyone with everything all the time. And a lot of the time it is being used like that, and that's something we need to be really cautious of. So there's been some – I don't know if you heard about in, uh, in the States at Amazon they had um, meditation pods put in in the, in the workshops in the warehouses – for people okay. um, to say like, oh, if you feel down or you feel stressed, just do some mindfulness and you'll be fine, rather than sort of giving the, them some structural changes, some breaks or things like that as well, which, mm. you know, <laughs> it needs to it needs to be – it shouldn't be a panacea to fix everything, but it can help with with some people in the right way as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's never going to replace um... – good quality job design or mm. effective management behaviors. Yeah. Uh, so knowing, I guess that's that's part of the evidence-based approach, isn't it? Knowing that it works, but also knowing how it works yeah. and for whom it works and what what place in our toolkit it can have rather than, yeah, like you say, a panacea. It's a great word to describe the way it's sometimes viewed mm. um, and, and deployed um, as an alternative to doing something systemic about problems in organizations. Yeah. I mean, what I really wanted to do today was get beneath the skin of the word and, and explore it in a little bit more detail. But, we, you know, you've illustrated that there's so much to it, and yet it's really simple, that it is a very strongly evidence-based activity, and yet we know a lot about where it doesn't work and the contraindications for it. Um, and that we can start it so simply and mm. so easily. Now, I know listeners might have lots of questions. Um, they might be inspired to start a mindfulness practice of their own. So what I would like to do is um, toot the horn, blow the trumpets, um, let people know about um, a masterclass you're going to be running for our community, which I'm really mm. excited about. I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes. And listeners will know that we have our online community at worklifepsych.club, but we also have a premium level paid for element of that. And members get access to lots of events like this. And it's going to be one of our masterclasses for 2023 on the 17th of May. First Steps in Mindfulness. 
Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about what people can expect to learn during this masterclass and what they're going to be able to take away? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited about this one because it, it plays again about getting more information about mindfulness out there, which, which I think is great. <clears throat> so what we're going to talk about in the masterclass is sort of giving a bit of a definition of mindfulness. What is mindfulness? What is maybe the difference between mindfulness and meditation? Because that comes up quite a lot and can be sort of confusing um we'll also talk a bit about the hype of mindfulness as well and and um wh where to be careful um around that we'll also cover a little bit about the background of mindfulness because I, i don't know about you i find that quite helpful sometimes when i'm learning about about something that i don't know much about to see like so mm. where did it come from how did it develop um, and things like that um but we'll cover that sort of more briefly we'll also then talk about some evidence of the effectiveness of mindfulness based on research recent research as well what people have said what people have found um on sort of high level um randomized controlled trials things like that as well mm -hmm. um we'll also be talking about something more practical so how to start a mindfulness practice what people can do if they're interested of doing a mindfulness practice um as well and yeah and then i think we'll also have a bit of um q a at the end so there's no need to have any prior experiences of mindfulness for anyone who wants to attend um people can have mindfulness experience or meditation experience before that's really welcome as well so if if people are coming along to just learn a bit more about but there's no need to to you know be an expert or even have done any mindfulness practices before. Um, but it's, it's also interesting to sort of share your thoughts or experiences of mindfulness. If you've read about mindfulness before, um, if you heard about other people using mindfulness before, did you like it? Did you not like it? Things like that as well. So we'll have a bit of a discussion element as well uh, where you can ask some questions um, and then talking about some practical applications of using mindfulness in your own life or your own workplace and get some answers from an expert, which is the whole point yeah. of the Masterclass series. Um, so I'm delighted you're, you're going to be free to, to join us. I think for anyone who has an inquiring mind and wants to get beyond the hype, this will be a great event. For anyone who wants to start and start simply and slowly, this will be a great way of learning just how easy it is to start a practice. Um, but as Sarah said, you don't need any prior experience or you can bring the experience you've had. Um, I'll put full instructions on how to sign up in the show notes. Um, existing members of Community Plus will see it on the events calendar and they can RSVP. And members will, it's going to be recorded. So members will be able to revisit it or those uh, for whom um, the time zone just doesn't suit, they can watch it at their leisure. So whenever you sign up, you'll have access to this and all of the other event recordings that we have on the community. Sarah, any parting thoughts for the listeners when it comes to mindfulness, mindfulness practice, any of this? Yeah, I think uh, I think generally it's it's nice to be um, here and, and be able to talk about this as well. So, from my uh, personal experience of point of view, I think that's really important. But also for anyone who wants to learn more about mindfulness, have a look at um, the masterclass. I think that would be really great for people. <coughs> To, to learn more about it if you want to do mindfulness and also I think be patient with it you know if it something doesn't work for you that's okay you don't need to sort of keep keep pushing if if you know a 50 minute mindfulness practice is not a good one for you to start with or maybe it is you know just see what works for you um, and again you know we, we're all individual people so not there's no one size fits all in in mindfulness and a lot of the time the little and often 
element of, of when you start mindfulness practices is, is a good one to start with. That, that's a lovely thought. I'm, I'm going to share um, my perspective on this from a, from a long time ago. Um, a number of people have said to me over the years when this topic comes up that I'll be no good at mindfulness mm. because I've got such a busy mind and I'm so stressed. And I say to them what I'm going to share with you now, which is slightly embarrassing, but many, many years ago, I finally took the plunge and started learning how to do yoga. And, mm. um, I, but I had said to someone just prior to that, I, I don't think I could do yoga. I'm, I'm very inflexible and stiff. And they had to say to me as a grown adult, that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah. what you will get from. So if you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed and busy mind, you know, that's not a barrier to mindfulness practice. No, that's no, an indication not. that it yeah. could really help. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not about getting it perfect first time or right first time. It's not about being, in inverted commas, good at mindfulness. It's about mm. finding a path that works for you in your circumstance. Um, no matter how that is, you'll find something that will work for you. Definitely. And that's so important. And exactly that, I think. I mean, that that's what I hear quite a lot as well. So people saying, no, oh, I can't do mindfulness. I'm, I'm not good at sitting still or I'm not good at... Um, not doing anything i need to be busy and things like that that doesn't mean you wouldn't be good at mindfulness you know that doesn't mean you you wouldn't reap benefits from it as well so so doing mm. that starting and having a look you know what works for you and that's fine exactly exactly listen sarah thank you again for joining us um on my pocket site it's always great to chat with you i'm sure the listeners will have follow-up questions so you can send them in to us via email at podcast at worklifepsych.com and um, we'll pass them on to Sarah. Um, let us know what you think. Let us know about your views on this topic, uh, your own practice, or maybe what you would uh, like to do, how you would like to start this. We always love to hear yes. from the listeners. Yeah. It's always great to know you're out there and, and finding uh, benefit from it. I had a conversation with someone yesterday for the very first time who mentioned from the get-go that he was a listener <laughs> to the podcast. So you find people um, all over the place listening to this. It's, it's really, really great. So, um, Sarah, thanks for joining us. Everyone out there, thanks for joining us. Um, you may be listening to this at any point in time, but I'll, I'll finish the way I started and wish you a very happy new year. Yeah, happy new year for me as well. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com/contact. Thanks for listening. <laughs>